half of you are already there already. Wow, that'll help you wake up. Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I hope you're here to get something tonight. I really do. I believe you are, or you wouldn't be here. I don't think you'd waste your time, and, and I trust that it won't be, uh, you won't feel that way when you leave. We're in a very uh, a difficult time of the year. Some people say, oh, this is a great time. Well, for you it might be, but there's a lot of people who don't think it is. I'm just being honest with you. There's a number of people whose hearts are very heavy this time of year. We're going to talk about some ways that Satan will try and take advantage of you. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at that on Wednesday night. And uh, tonight, we're going to touch on some things that, um, you know, it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough time right now. And uh, we'll see how the devil will even use those things to try to get an advantage. But uh, every one of us are Christians tonight. And, well, I don't know, you know, if we were out there on the football field tonight, we'd all be trying to get an advantage. You know, if you uh, played ball at all in high school or college or pro, as some of us did, um, did you get that? Okay. All right, I didn't play pro. But anyway, um, if, you, if you played ball at all, you know that you'd watch films. You'd try to get an advantage over your opponent. You know, you'd watch the films. You'd try to find their weaknesses so you could get an advantage. Um, you know, if um, you are in a race, if you can possibly get the other person to give you a head start, you know, you get an advantage. Remember how it was when you was racing as little kids? You know, you'd say, well, you're a lot bigger than me. Give me a five-step, five uh, you know, five-pace, you know, say, count it off. One, two, three, four, five. Give me a five-pace head start. You wanted an advantage. You wanted to get an advantage. Why? So you could win. So you could come out ahead. In golfing or in bowling, you call it a handicap. In, in a fight, you're, you say, somebody will say something like, okay, I'll, go, I'll, I'll give you the advantage. I'll, I'll tie one hand behind my back. Okay, and, and uh, you know, so, um, you know, you're always looking for an advantage if you want to win a competition or if you want to come out on top. Um, for instance, in basketball, football, even baseball, they have what's called home field advantage. You know, when you're at your home field, you got an advantage because you have your fans there and you're comfortable with your stadium and you feel good about your court and all that good stuff. In retail... Or maybe even in the sales departments of uh, major uh, corporations around our country. They're always looking for a way to get an advantage over the other merchandisers or or merchandisers or over the other manufacturers. For instance, Black Friday. Well, they have Black Friday. Why why is everybody opening earlier? Because they want an advantage. They're trying to get you there before you spend your money somewhere else. So everybody's looking for an advantage. Oh, we got door busters this weekend. Oh, next weekend, and next weekend, and for the rest of the year. You know what I'm saying, but everybody's looking for an advantage, aren't they? They want to come out on top. Now, these are just examples of a situation where someone or something's trying to get an advantage. But let me tell you something. Every single day in your life, every single day in the believer's life, the devil attempts to get the advantage over you. He wants the advantage over God's children. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about some ways that Satan will try and take advantage or get advantage, get the advantage. And and I think it's important. Because, see, you know, you need to understand his ways. I need to understand his ways. Over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, notice what the Bible says beginning in verse 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, 
For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now let me just say that there had been some inappropriate behavior in the Corinthian church. And now Paul's saying that, yes, indeed, steps had to be taken to correct that problem. That had to be publicly dealt with. There had been some immorality. There had been some uh, unethical behavior. There had been some issues there in the church. And he said, listen, I understand that when I spoke to you before, I told you to deal with it, to be very forward with it, to be very um, abrupt with it. You deal with it, you face it. By the way, you cannot allow open problems to go unaddressed. And that includes your problems, and that includes mine. Now listen to me. We are in a big mess in churches today because we're always trying to cover up things. Listen, look what has happened in our culture today. We have a a world that tries to cover up scandal. You know, we've got that Penn State issue, and for years that whole situation had been covered up. People had either uh, wittingly or maybe even conveniently acted as though nothing was going on. When in reality, there was horrible, heinous crimes taking place. Let me tell you something. If I find out you're abusing a child, I will throw you in jail personally. Don't you dare, don't you dare think that I'm going to turn around and say, well, I would hate to lose that member of my church. I don't care if it's my own family. If they're hurting a child, they're hurting somebody like that, I'm taking care of it. Listen, we cannot allow those things to go on. Things like that are wrong. You don't cover them up, you deal with them. You face it. And there's no respecter of persons. That's the thing. You hold me to a standard, I hold you to a standard. God holds us both to standards. And so we've got to be very careful with those things. Very careful. Now again, there's always place for grace and things. No doubt about that. But not when it comes to hurting children. I have a real hard time with that. Okay? I mean, I'm not talking about, about that. I'm saying there's grace, though, for a number of things. We can love people. We can encourage people. And sometimes we work with people that show a brokenness. It doesn't have to be out in front of everybody. I understand that. But let me tell you, if you're doing something publicly wrong as a believer, you ought to be very happy if it never becomes publicly known. You, you ought to be thrilled that you're not standing up here being raked over the coals. You ought to thank God you haven't already been publicly humiliated and had to deal with your sin in a public manner. You better quit it now before you ultimately get caught. Because that's what should happen, and maybe it will happen. But you'd probably run first anyways. But it doesn't matter. And that's what people do in churches today. They just run away. So they don't have to face the music. And you know why we're so weak today as believers? Because we're not man and woman enough to take our medicine. Thank you, preacher. That was fun. We haven't even gotten a message. Woo! Preacher's on a roll tonight. Well, don't you hate it when your children try to get out of what they've done? And you know they deserve it and they act like, Well, I didn't know. I didn't mean it. I didn't. And you're thinking, 
Get over the couch. Get across. Let's deal with it. Let's get it over with. Well, anyway, nonetheless. All right, here we go. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. Now, there you go. Now, see, you've got a statement of grace here. Some things have already taken place. Things have been dealt with. They've been placed out in the open. And he says, okay, now, you better start loving people. You make sure that, that although you had to do what you had to do, that you didn't do it for any other reason than that you care about people and about all the rest in the, in the crowd. For instance, if you were allowed to steal money out of the offering plate in this church, how do you think that would affect the attitude and the, uh, the mindset of the people of God here in this church? Oh, the pastor knows that his brother-in-law is stealing money out of the plate. pastor knows that brother so-and-so over there is taking money out of the plate. How's that going to affect the, mora- the morale of this church? It wouldn't be very good, would it? So it has to be dealt with. However, once we deal with it, we're going to deal with it as he says now. He says, I'm, I'm telling you this though. He says, I want you to confirm your love toward him. I want them to understand and realize one thing. That you care about him and the only reason why you're bringing it to light and the only reason why you're dealing with it is because there's a group of people you love and you love them too much to let them continue in that sin because ultimately it will destroy them. You get where I'm going? You know what, Mom and Dad? That's why we have to be big enough and wise enough to address issues in our homes with our, our children. Because it's only them that... They're the ones that's going to suffer if we don't. we got to be willing to say, listen, this isn't good because... And listen, by the way, I don't always have to think what you think is wrong is wrong for me. And what I think is wrong is wrong for you. But you better know God's will, and you better get in God's word. You be, don't, don't give me this, well, I just don't agree with that. No, you better ask yourself, does God agree with it first? And if you don't like something I'm doing, and if it doesn't line up with that book, then there's a problem. Vice versa. But you better have a walk with God in your own right. You better, before you can lead anyone, you better be out front. So don't, tell, don't, don't get all mixed up in all that stuff. You have a right to lead your home as you see fit. Hold on. But make sure that what you think is right is based out of this book, the Word of God, not just out of what you think. That's important. You better have some convictions because when you stand before God, He's going to say, why did you let that go on? And you're going to say, well, because I didn't think there's anything wrong with it. He'll say, I'm sorry to tell you, but I gave you the book that told you different. So ultimately, you're responsible for your family and your choices. I'm responsible for mine. See? That's important to understand. So make sure you got it nailed down. And then hold that thing. Go forward with it. Go ahead and run with that thing. But always be aware you're going to answer for you and no one else. So make sure you can live with your decision because you'll live with the consequences. Now, thank you, preacher. This is really good today. For These are the things you ought to have conversations around the kitchen table with your kids about. We just had a devotion right there. Do you know what I'm saying? Those are the things you talk about to your children on a regular basis, just talking. If you're not doing that, you're not training them. They're not going to know why you believe what you believe or where you're even heading. They're not going to have a sense of responsibility because you've never passed that on to them. You say, well, I have it. Why don't they have it? Because you never taught them. You have to actually sit down and talk about things that are uncomfortable sometimes. It's good for them. For to this end also did I write 
that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive, uh, forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Figure that one out when you get a chance. Let's <laughs> now here we go. <laughs> I, here we go. Here it is. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas uh, to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence to Macedonia. Now again, go back to verse 11. We're going to kick off there. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Again, Satan wants an advantage over you. And he wants an advantage over me. So let's go ahead and talk about some things tonight. Let's be encouraged from the Word of God. Father, help us speak to our hearts. And Lord, help us to realize that we are a people that's going to be attacked. Why? Because Satan wants an advantage. He's going to be looking for any avenue he can to get an advantage. Lord, this people that's gathered here tonight want to please you with their life. They wouldn't be here. I really believe that they sincerely and genuinely want you to be magnified and glorified in their life. I'm so happy to gather with this, these my brothers and sisters in Christ for that purpose. And Lord, if there is any that's lost without him, that Lord, you would convict them of their sin and their need of salvation, that they would be saved. But Father, we want to grow tonight. We want to be encouraged and we want to be exhorted. We want to be lifted up. Help us, Lord, this evening to be instructed in your word that we might better obey you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, again, as we mentioned, you know, every football team, baseball team, basketball team looking for an advantage. The devil's looking for an advantage as well. You need to understand that we are already in a battle. You say, why would the devil need an advantage? He's obviously stronger than me. Yes, he is stronger than you. Don't ever forget that the devil is, he is stronger than you. That's all there is to He's stronger than me. You know what? We could combine our forces tonight, every one of us together. And the truth is, in ourself, our strength, our flesh, the devil is stronger than all of us put together. That's just a reality. I think Christians forget that sometimes. I think they go off half-cocked believing somehow because I went to Sunday school Sunday and because I go to church, because I sang in the choir, because I, run a, I help on a bus route, because I, I, I help in the nursery, because I clean the church, because I, I do this ministry, that ministry, and every other ministry in the book. I, therefore, I've got some kind of supernatural power. You have no power in yourself. You are mere flesh, clay, and nothing. That is a reality in my life and yours. The devil will rake you over the coals. He will sift you like wheat. He will ruin and wreck your life. That's all there is to it. And he'll wreck and ruin mine. Because I want you to know we are already in a battle. In 2 Timothy, we've read a number of times from this pulpit, as well as you probably in your Bible reading, 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, that says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You are a soldier tonight. I don't care if you're a man or if you're a woman. I don't care if you're a teenager, a boy or a girl. If you name the name of Christ, you are already a soldier. You are in the armed forces of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But not only that, you need to understand that although you are flesh and although you are weak, you and I have the advantage. We have the advantage. In 1 John 4, 4, the Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
He goes on to say in Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, the Bible says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We have the advantage tonight. You have the advantage. You say, well, how is that possible? If I'm weaker than the devil, how do I have an advantage over him? Because simply this. You have the Lord in you. Because you have an advantage, however, I want you to know the devil will do everything he can to take the advantage from you. I think it's interesting to note that every time you experience a mountaintop experience, it seems like the devil is just there to drag you back down into the valley, doesn't he? Isn't it funny how when someone comes to Jesus Christ, you can almost guarantee them. You can almost say, listen, I want you to know right now, the devil's going to do all he can to keep you out of God's house Sunday. And they come back and say things like, preacher or or brother or sister, you were right. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. On Saturday, I got a flat tire. And then I couldn't even, I didn't have the money to fix it. And then when I did go and try to replace my tire, my spare was flat too. Oh, that's all coincidence. You just got saved on Tuesday night. You just got saved on Thursday night. You just got saved on Saturday morning at Soul Winning. And now all of a sudden, both tires are flat. Isn't that amazing? That's not amazing. That's design. Because the devil wants to get an advantage over that person. You know, isn't it funny that when you appear to be on the verge of something great for God... The devil begins his ruthless and relentless attack. You ever notice that? Anytime something good's on the horizon, the devil's there to just try to steal your joy. And steal mine too. Well, how's he going to seek to get an advantage then? I'm going to give you a number of ways over the next couple of weeks. But number one, I want to say that he will use times of sorrow and bereavement to get an advantage. He's going to use times of sorrow and bereavement to get an advantage. Every one of us will experience sorrow. That's just a reality. You don't want to maybe admit it. You don't want to have to face it. You don't want to deal with it. You say, I've never done that. It's okay. You will. You will. You say, well, I'm not looking forward to that. It doesn't matter. You will. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to prepare you. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. You don't start a fire and see no sparks. There's always sparks popping off that fire. And guess what? There is always trouble in a man or woman's life. I don't care how godly you believe yourself to be or how, how much you go to church, it doesn't matter. There are going to be problems in your life. There's going to be trouble. And there are going to be times of sorrow and bereavement. By the way, if you don't find trouble, it'll find you. That's just the way it is. We're kind of like magnets. Trouble just kind of right to us like steel. Now, sorrow and bereavement are very hard times in a life. And if you've, again, not experienced it, you will one time or another in your life. 
And some are in this room, some right now are experiencing a sense of bereavement or maybe sorrow right now as we speak. You're going through it. Some have experienced possibly death or an injury or maybe even some kind of unexpected tragedy in your life. Those are the kind of things that we face in life. Some are just getting over maybe a broken heart. You had your heart dashed. You expectations ruined. Those are all things that happen in life. And for some in this room, it may be just around the corner. It could be that in the coming year, a number of us will experience sorrow. That's just the reality of life. That's how it works. All of us experience sorrow. But also... A time of sorrow can be a very destructive period of time. You have to be very careful with it. Just because we're Christians and just because we have a faith doesn't mean that that faith is as strong as it needs to be at times. And times of sorrow can be very destructive. Again, the devil's seeking an advantage in your life. You can never forget that. He wants to get an advantage over you. And so in seeking that advantage... Because we already have it, mind you. He wants it. He's going to come after us. Now again, our advantage is none other than the indwelling presence of Christ Himself. That's the main aspect of our advantage. We have the Creator of all the universe living in us. In Matthew 28, 18, the Bible says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Think about that for a minute. All power is given unto me, Jesus said, in heaven and in earth. That means that he's all-powerful, correct? That means that there's no one or nothing more powerful than he or him. Now in John 14, 12, he makes this statement, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. When he went to his father, what did he promise he would do? He promised that he would send another comforter. Well, the other comforter is none other than himself. He, Jesus Christ, living in us. Christ himself living in you and living in me. The all-powerful, all-omnipotent creator of the universe. Living in you and living in me. And he says, greater works you'll do. Greater works I'll do. Greater works we can do together as we combine our efforts, as we bring ourselves into one accord for the purpose of magnifying and glorifying Jesus Christ. See, the devil is well aware of your potential power. He knows the potential power that a believer possesses. And thus... He also recognizes the potential influence you have as a believer in the lives of others. So you become a a threat to his kingdom. You say, but I'm nobody. You are correct. In and of yourself, you nor I is anything. However, when Christ indwells this temple of clay, There's great power. When we submit ourselves to His leadership, when we allow Him to fill us, to complete us, 
And all of a sudden, we become tremendous power sources on his behalf. Boy, the devil shakes and quakes when he considers the indwelling presence of Christ in each of us. and The potential that we, that we represent in a world that's in great need. That's why he is so vehemently warring against the saints. Warring against us by attacking in a most sensitive and a very vulnerable area of our life. Listen now. Our emotions. That's where he seeks. He, he often attacks in that most sensitive, very critical area of emotions. The devil will use the loss of someone or something that's very near and dear to your heart to insert his lies and ultimately establish walls between you and the Lord. He'll do that. John chapter 8 verse 44, a tremendous passage that we use in vacation Bible school often. Simply says, ye are of your father the devil. That's what we tell the kids. No, I'm joking, we don't. But anyway, you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaketh a lie. Oh, excuse me. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. Here it is. For he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. That's what we tell the kids. We have complete lessons on those three words. The devil is a liar. You know what? I don't think we remember that enough. We too often forget that reality. I mean to tell you, we, we get our world rocked. Our emotions go crazy. And next thing you know, we are buying into the devil's lies. During the death of a loved one, the devil will sow his lies in the garden of your mind. You have to be so careful. You say, well, I'm not going through that. Remember I told you, and the Bible bears this out, we will all experience loss. We'll all experience sorrow and bereavement. Be prepared, because why? The devil is seeking an advantage. You have the advantage he is seeking to take that advantage away. And so he will use loss in your life to try and do that by sowing seeds or sowing lies in the garden of your mind. Lies like this. He'll say, God doesn't love you or he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. He'll tell you that. You say, no, that's just me thinking. No, that's the devil sowing a few lies in your, in your mind. Oh, no, 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 though, though God doesn't love you. Or, or he would have allowed that to happen to you. And by the way, oh, whoa, 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 let's just be honest about this. There's probably people in our family that will tell us that. We'll have friends that will tell us that if we're not careful. Listen, let's just be honest. The world thinks that way. So if we are attached in any way to the world... They'll confirm the lie of the devil. They've already bought into it. If God was good, he wouldn't allow tragedy in the world. How can he allow a little child to be hurt and hard like he does? 
Those are all lies of the devil. There's nothing wrong with God. God's never bad. But that which he created chose to go a wrong direction. And as a result, he does, she does bad things. It's only God's grace that permits a man to live after he's done those things, or he'd never come to Christ. He'd die and eternally burn in a place called the lake of fire. God is very merciful and good. Oh, one says, well, if he was so good, why didn't he just kill him to begin with? Why didn't he just kill you? You deserved it. I deserve it. Oh, that's right. You're good and everyone else is bad. Wait a second. You, you ever think about somebody that just needs to maybe get pushed off the end of a bridge? Or that'd be, we'd be better off in this world without them? You just committed murder in your mind. And the Bible tells us if you commit murder in your heart, it's as though you've done it. You're no better than the murderer sitting down on death row. Neither am I. So if God has to kill murderers, guess what? You go next. So do I. Now again, you say, well, that's different. It's totally different. Wait a second. God's world is a little different than ours. That's the problem. He doesn't see things the way you do. He doesn't see things in a physical and then a spiritual. He sees it all as one. We live this separated life. We put God in a box. We are the ones that make this thing departmentalized. And we say, well, for me, it's this way. And for that one, it's this way. And for her, it's this way. And for them, it's that way. No, for God, it's just His way. And we have to deal with His way. Again, he's going to tell you those lies. He may say this. It's your fault that they're dead. He may tell you that. Like you can control someone's life or death. I don't, I don't care if you were at the will and you slid off the road in a, in, 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 in the, uh, in a torrent downpour and you think, I should have never been out in that rain. The devil will try to convince you that it was your fault that this happened. You've been on those roads a hundred thousand times before. You grew up driving on those kind of streets. But now all of a sudden you're going to somehow let the devil tell you that it's your fault that that friend, family member, or loved one died in that car accident because you were at the will. You get where I'm going? Oh yeah, let's use some wisdom. Let's be careful and safe. But in the end, hey listen, God's the one that permits or allows that to take place. Your name is already on a specific date in eternity. You're gone. I'm gone at that time. It doesn't matter whether, it just, that's just it. I've got an appointment with death. But the devil will try to convince you that it's your fault. If you'd only said this, if you'd only done that. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there? I'm not maybe with death, but maybe something else. I mean, as parents, let's face it, man, we... Rake, rake ourselves over the coals sometimes. If I had only done this, if I'd only done that. Well, the devil's good at telling us lies. Now, sometimes there's things we should have done and could have done, and we have to at least own up to it, face it. But a lot of times when it comes to this area of bereavement, loss and sorrow, boy, the devil's a good liar. Tries to get us to bear guilt that's not ours. Or maybe you'll say, again, you could have stopped this tragedy from happening. You could have done that. He just made one more call. If, if you would have just, if, if you'd have just said, I love you one more time. If you'd have just been there. Or he'll lie to you, he'll say this. You're being punished for your sins. You're being punished for your sins. That's why this happened. Now listen, you know what? When bad things happen in our lives, we need to evaluate our lives. 
I'm not opposed to that. We need to, we need to slow down long enough to, to, to let the Lord work in our heart. We draw close to Jesus Christ. We begin to ask the question, God, is there a reason why this happened? Is there something you want to teach me? Is there something you want to do in my life? You want to refine me? You want to mold me? You want, you want to temper me? What do you want to do? But you'll find most of the time, if you're genuinely trying to please the Lord with your life, I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're genuinely trying. You're not paying for sin. The devil's lying to you. Because see, if you think the Lord made you pay, took that loved one because you aren't doing something right, you know, you're very tempted. If you're not careful, you're tempted to resent God for that. You think the devil, the devil take great pleasure in you resenting God. Again, he'll, he'll sow these lies in the garden of your mind. Also, you need to understand that loss and sorrow and bereavement can be a very demanding time, a very difficult time. Um, you know, it's a time where often our patience wears very thin. You're on edge. We become overwhelmed with grief at that time in our life, weighed down with grief. Our minds are bombarded with irrational thoughts at times. Begin to think crazy thoughts. Our bodies become fatigued from restlessness and from a lack of relaxation. We don't sleep at night like we should. It becomes a very demanding time, a very difficult time. And as a result of that, the mental and emotional stress can ultimately directly affect our spiritual life. You've got to be so careful. Why? Because the devil's seeking an advantage. Realize you already have the advantage. He wants to take it from you. He will use bereavement. He will use loss. He'll use sorrow to somehow steal the advantage away. To get the upper hand. Again, don't think for a moment that Satan isn't lurking about for an opportunity to wound you deeply. Boy, he will use those times. He wants you to believe that you're all alone and that others don't understand. And you know what? People may not understand completely, but I promise you this. You're not alone. Now, you may be alone more than you'd like to be alone, but I, one, I really appreciate some of the ladies in our church. I watch them. They, they've, a number of them have lost husbands. You know, you know, I watch them lately, they, they, they'll get together and they'll, they'll go out to lunch after church and they kind of have this kind of a camaraderie that's developed between those ladies. They've all gone through something that they wouldn't wish on anyone. But they're able to come together and encourage one another and even maybe comfort one another in the midst of those hurts and heartaches. You know what, you know what it takes though? You know what they have to do? They have to try to get that person that's just recently lost a loved one to go with them. Because you know what we want to do when hurt comes in our life, when heartache arrives? We want to withdraw from people, withdraw from things, and remove ourselves. And then we feel isolated and all alone. And then we blame everybody else for feeling that way, when in reality, if we're not careful, and we don't really see it from the proper perspective, we almost create that environment. Again, that's not always the case, but it is often the case. And these ladies have done a tremendous job of reaching out to those ladies and saying, 
Come on out with us. Be a part of this. Let's go do something. Let's get out of that house. You'll just wilt away and die yourself in that house if you don't get out and start living again. And we understand it takes time. It's not necessarily a week or two or three. But the sooner you can get away from that isolation, the sooner the process begins in healing. It takes time. Sometimes a long time. Again, he'll tempt you to direct your attention inward and only see and feel your own pain. And that is, now get this, that is all an attempt on the devil's part to get you to resent those who God has placed in your life to help you. See, he wants an advantage. Nothing is by chance. The the devil, he knows what he's doing. It's orchestrated, it's planned out. He's been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. We need to fix something underneath the stage. I hear something all the time. I don't like that. (sighs) Also, Satan uses... He uses times of sorrow to bind many people. And we've already touched on that a little bit. But you know, what we have to understand is this, that... He always attacks the most when we're the weakest. That's the way he operates. I mean, you don't have to do anything but watch an episode of Wild Kingdom or Animal Planet to see that the lion or the leopard is going to attack the injured prey. He doesn't attack the strongest one. He doesn't attack the one that's out front leading the rest. No, he attacks the one that's lingering behind or the one that's already injured. Why? Because they'll go down without... It's much a fight. You know what? That's what the devil will do to you. He's going to, when this bereavement comes into your life, when the sorrow strikes into your heart, often we're at a weaker place in our life. You need to be very aware that he's going to attack at that weak moment. Be prepared for it. Why? Because he wants the advantage. And once he sees, he sees this bereavement, he sees this, this sorrow, he says, <laughs> I got an advantage. They're going to be at a weak spot, a low spot in their emotional makeup. They're going to have a hard time spiritually because they'll have lacked rest. They won't be on their schedule. Life will be in disarray. They're not going to be as strong. Boy, he'll start sending those lies because he thinks he's got an advantage. Even when a person comes out of sorrow, many times they're damaged. They're depressed or discouraged. They've gone through it, but yet there's still there's some residual effect. They're still struggling with it. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? Telling somebody to suck it up doesn't fix the whole problem. Now, it's one thing for a young man to fall on the football field and get hurt, and he lays around rolling around like he just, you know, took a torpedo in the belly. It's another thing, you know, and we say, get up, quit belly aching, 
That's fine. I understand that. We're toughening them up. But when somebody's lost a loved one, a friend or family member, and it, it may, there may have been some time gone by even. You know, just going, suck it up. Don't you trust God? If you say it like that, you said it wrong, friend. There's not a lick of compassion or grace there at all. And you know what? What I find is this. What comes around, how's that? What goes around comes around or something like that? Oh, just wait. You'll get yours. You reap what you sow. Don't you ever forget that. You don't show compassion to others. I'm telling you, you reap what you sow. You don't show any patience with others. You reap what you sow. Be careful with that. If you want that grace, you want that time, you want people to be compassionate, then you show that compassion. And not everybody's as strong as you. And if you are truly strong, and not just a legend in your own mind, then you ought to just thank God for that, because that's not you anyway, that's God. That's nothing to be prideful about or arrogant about, that's something to be thankful for. Then use your strength to try to encourage people, not discourage people that are already discouraged. You know what happens to people that have experienced loss or bereavement a lot of times? They're affected by the devil to not work for the Lord. They, they want to give up. They want to, they want to back off of the things of God. You know, we often wonder, why is it that when a woman loses her husband, she stops coming to church? Why, when a, a, a wife passes on, the husband stops coming to church sometimes? I, I, I love Brother Diamond, Mr. Diamond. Mr. Diamond, he's over here sitting down on Sunday mornings. He's lost his wife of, what, 67, I don't know, 89 years or something? I mean, Mr. Diamond is up there in years, folks. Mr. Diamond is in church every Sunday unless he's sick. He's over there, got his grip, you know, he's got his hand. You ever shake his hand? He's like... I mean, he's putting it on you. And I'm like, man, I tell you, I like that grip. He, he just loves it. He loves to be in God's house. He loves to, 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 to be around God's people. He loves the word of God. Man, I love that he loves those things enough that even after God uh, took his wife home to be with him, he says, man, I want to be in my place. That's awesome. But that's not how it always is. That's not how it always is. It's not always like a Mrs. Beachy who loses her husband of a number of years and she's, she's lived together all those years. She's worked together all those years. She's served together all those years. And she says, I'm going to knock on more doors than anybody. I'm going to make more food than anybody. I'm going to get involved more than anybody. And then she walks through a door, can't even hardly stand up and says, Preacher, I'm just so sorry. I can't do as much as I used to. I wish I could. And if there's anything I can do, let me know. I'll try. I'm like, Mrs. Beachy, I don't want you doing nothing right now except getting better. Folks, it doesn't always work that way, does it? You know what? The devil's trying to seek an advantage. Why are we so surprised when those things happen? When a loved one doesn't return or when somebody doesn't continue to follow through with their faith when they've lost someone through, uh, through a death or, or maybe a tragedy and we say to ourselves, what's wrong with their faith? I'll tell you what, the devil saw an advantage. Maybe they need to know that the devil 
was part of their discouragement. And we can love on them a little bit and express these truths and help them to realize it's all right to have feelings that don't always line up the way we think they should. But ultimately, you've got to come to the right feelings. You need to make sure that you're going to the right source to get them, and that's Him still. Encourage them. Help them. A number of people don't ever seem to get over loss, do they? And I, I'm not just talking about the memory of someone. I'm talking about the effect of it. I want to encourage you to, I want you to understand tonight, as we talk about just a simple thought, the devil will use bereavement, he'll use sorrow to get an advantage over you. To somehow get you to be, he sees the weakness that it brings to us and Every one of us are more susceptible in the midst of that. Don't allow him to have that advantage. Recognize it at least. Realize that he will attack you when you are at your weakest point. And don't believe his lies. I want to encourage you to pray for people who have lost loved ones for one year. At least one year. So, you know how it is. We go to the funeral. Our hearts are heavy for these folks. And then we, we, we lose track. We, we kind of get back into our own routine, our own life. We, we fail to remember the, the, the feeling that, that that brought when we walked up toward that casket, when we embraced that loved one that is experiencing that bereavement and loss. We forget that feeling of, of compassion that we had and the desire that we had to, to, to encourage them and to help them and to be there for them and to, wait a second, don't, don't let that slip completely. Hold that in your mind. Pray for someone that's lost somebody for at least a year. Put them on your list and leave them on the list for at least a year and pray for them specifically in those areas. Birthdays will be hard. Holidays are difficult. Easter, Christmas, summer vacation, July 4th, anytime there's a a holiday where family gathered or got together, even back to school times or homecomings or all of these things that brought back memories in their lives. Those are hard times. And you know what, again, the devil will use those difficult times in our lives to gain an advantage. Why? Because we have the advantage. And he wants it. And so I just want you to be aware of it. I don't know what you're going through in your life. But if you aren't going through something, you ought to be very grateful to the Lord that you're not. You ought to be thankful. You ought to thank him daily and say, Lord... Thank you for giving me what I don't deserve. <laughs> I'm so glad to enjoy another day without that sorrow, without bereavement. But don't forget that it will be you one day. Sooner or later, you will be in that place. Be ready for the devil to seek an advantage. He'll try, but you can't let him. There's too much at stake. We'll talk more about it next week. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership, and we thank you, Lord, for just the
privilege it is to be a part of your family. Lord, thank you for the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ.